I, I assume you have electricity in your house. Um, and uh, when, when the electricity doesn't work at your house, what, what do you think immediately? We need a generator. That's, those are people from Tehachapi, right? There was my generator. They turned off, you know, those wicked people at Southern California Edison and PG&E. Just got you guys, got you guys. Um, got a couple of those guys here. They turned off the power on us and, they, you know, they turned it off on us. How dare them? Like, uh, uh, some of you thought immediately, oh, did I pay the bill? Did I pay the bill? Uh, um, uh Others of you would say, well, you know, we flipped a breaker. Well, what does that mean, by the way? Do you, do you know what that means? Some of you are, some of you are saying, yeah, I totally know. You, you go in there and you pull that thing and you go click, click, click. And, it, and it, I fixed it. I'm an electrician. No, but why did it do that? Some of you think you're still pretty smart and you're like, yeah, it overloaded and it... And it just flipped, you know, flipped. Uh, I remember talking to one of our engineers, and he uh, he thought about being an electrical engineer, but he said he said as he was going through school, he realized it's witchcraft. <laughs> it's witchcraft. You, you, uh, no one really knows. Like the, uh, uh, electricity, some of you know more than others, but the idea of understanding it all. Uh, most of us know very little about understanding why it works. Um, but let me encourage you. Most of us don't care either, right? Right? You know, I, I went to my car this morning, and I went like this, and it turned on, and I got here, and I didn't think a bit about it, how it worked, why the lights popped on, like how many fuses. I didn't think anything of it. I did it in my home this morning, too. I turned the lights on, and I didn't go, let me explain to myself why that worked. Again, I don't know. Um, It just did. And so as we go to the scripture today, I just want to remind you that you may not be able to understand everything about God. That you may understand a very little bit, very little bit, or maybe a little bit more, or maybe a little bit more. But the idea of having complete understanding of all that God does and is um, is definitely more than a stretch for us, okay? And so this morning as we go through some difficult things, I just wanted to start us out with that. Um, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. That's where we'll be today, um, Romans chapter 9. And, uh, but, but I want to talk to you uh, before uh, we get rolling. Actually, uh, I just want to refresh your memory on what we've learned and some of the things that we've learned in uh, the book of Romans thus far. Romans, the, the first part of the book of Romans is really all about sin. And, and as you think about that, you say, well, you know, that's not very um, exciting to learn about sin. And it's not. Uh, in fact, it's, it's one of these things where uh, if I said, hey, we're going to do a you know, a week-long um, seminar. It's going to be super exciting at Bear Valley Church. We're going to meet every night, and we're going to study, and it's going to be super exciting. It's going to be the seminar on sin. Most of you would go, I don't know that I want, like, I'm already working on that at home, like I'm doing that, uh, just sitting in my home, and I, I know quite a bit about that already. 
more than electricity. Um, but uh, you say, well, why do we need to know? And I think that, that, that tug in our heart that wants to push away the thought um, is the reason we need to know. And the reason that Paul belabored, I uh, feel like it f- felt like he belabored on the inspiration of God, this idea of sin in the scriptures. And uh, I just want to tell you that as we look at the book of Romans, um, we learn a lot about sin. But one of the things I want to point out, uh, even as uh, we think about sin today a little bit, that Adam, uh, of Adam and Eve, of the book of Genesis, really was the father of sin, the father of sin, the first sinner, if you will. And as we are connected to him, uh, we are connected to sin. Uh, And when did that start, by the way, in your history? When did uh, Adam's sin start in your history? Before I was around, right? Or at the point of my birth, you know, the idea that uh, I wasn't a part, I, I wasn't there to witness it. It wasn't a part of my family history and the fact that I got in the picture when Adam sinned, but rather that as I'm connected to Adam, which happened way before me, um, I am connected with the father of sin. And when I, it was before I was around it. In Romans chapter five, verse 18, sorry, I'm bouncing around a little bit here. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. As you look at that, uh, if you look in context of Romans chapter 5, it's talking about Adam. And his was the one trespass that led to what? Condemnation for all men. All men. And so it's safe to say for me here this morning that all of you and all of me are condemned in Adam's sin, all of us. And so it's important for us to acknowledge that and to really see this, that um, we are connected and condemned uh, in Adam's sin. And we, as being born as connected to Adam, we are born in sin in relation to him. Other things just generally that you will see in the book of Romans is that sin is pervasive. It's pervasive. It's like gets to every little corner of the world. It's not something that's limited to Los Angeles, right? Uh, It's not just the sins of the big cities or even uh, California or some country. Uh, It is... uh, pervasive is and and it's polluting it touches it touches everything it's not like uh, when you see something new and you go oh it's perfect it's perfect and yet uh, if we really knew it's not perfect it's not perfect everything that we have everything that we know is polluted by sin pervasive and um, then it comes really the other thing that I, I wanted to point out before we get into our study today is the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Gentile. And over and over again, Paul writes a lot about this. It was really the idea of God's people by family uh, who have been raised and, and know and look forward to the Messiah coming. There's those people. And then there's everybody else, uh, the Jew and the Gentile. And what do we find out about the Jew and the Gentile? That both Jew and Gentile have this problem of sin they are both needy, needy of 
changing. And so, which brings us to that word that we've talked about over and over again, justification. Justification. Each person, each Jew, each Gentile, each person here, because of our connection with sin in Adam, we need justification. We need to be made righteous when we were not righteous, each one of us. Um, Which leads us to our passage this morning in Romans chapter 9. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from verse 6 down through verse 18. God's word says this. um, but, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Uh, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Verse 9, for this is what the promise said, uh, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Uh, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of the works, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Uh, Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Uh, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, uh, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so then he has mercy on whom whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills god we ask for your blessing on our time our that your spirit would be our teacher now and pray that we would be able to understand your greatness better and that we would be more thankful for who you are and the grace that you poured out on us God, do your work in us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So even as I read that, uh, some of you realize the deep waters we're uh, hopping into, right? Um, And I want to tell you that actually, this is deep waters, but next week's even deeper, okay? Um, But I think we'll pop out the following week and... uh, We'll be able to get some progress in uh, uh, just understanding who God is and what he is doing. I realize that um, uh, we are part of a generation, and I realize that some of these things are just trickling up to Tehachapi. Um, do you guys know what DoorDash is? Um, it's the laziest thing you could ever imagine, right? Okay? You're laying on your couch, and you go, I'm hungry, 
And so you, you, you have your phone and you start looking and you go, what do I want to eat today? And you start looking at menus. I don't want that. I don't want, and you finally decide. And then some random stranger goes and gets you food and brings it to your door. And then uh, if you don't like it, what do you do? You go, oh, I'll get something else. You know, like it's, it's this thing of like you're in charge of every, the whole world basically to come to bring you food. Um, I, I really realize, I, I see that as part of our problem when we come to this passage because we think we're in charge of everything. And I just want to encourage you, uh, this passage, or warn you that this passage uh, doesn't leave you in charge of anything, okay? Um, and so this idea that you're most important uh, is not uh, what God's concerned with in this passage. Um, last week, Paul poured out his heart uh, for the lost, that he looked upon um, his countrymen, his, the, the people that he was uh, familiar with, and he said, my heart breaks in such a way that I would, be, I would desire to be accursed if I could take their place, take their place. And then he describes the, the few verses right before chapter, um, uh, verse six, those few verses before, he describes the great rejection of Jesus and the plan of God by the Jews, the great rejection of God. And I want to tell you that that great rejection we want no part of. We want no part of. As we come to the scripture, as we hear the story, as we understand the plan going forward, we want to embrace it. Embrace it. We want to realize, we want to be in thanksgiving uh, for what God has done on our behalf. And even as we don't understand everything, we are in awe we are in awe of how good he is to us, how kind and merciful he is to us. And so which brings us to um, verse 6 here today. And I start with the choice of God of Abraham. And as we look at this, we'll see the choice of God of Abraham. We'll see the choice of God of Isaac. We'll see the choice of God of Jacob. And then, confusingly so... The choice of God of Pharaoh. And if you'll count them, there's four points. And it was because I saved one from last week. Um, and so we won't have three, we will have four, okay? Um, we start with Abraham. And as you look at the book of Genesis, really Abraham is a, uh, one of those important figures where God has all of creation and he picks a specific person. He chooses a specific person to start his people, Abraham uh, being that special person that he makes a promise with. And so as we look at this, we see in verse six, uh, Paul writes, but it is not through the word, it is not as though the word of God has failed. The question here in this passage is, it's gonna be questioning God whether his word is true and whether he is actually good and just, merciful and compassion. And Paul's answering that question uh, as we begin. And I, I want to say this, that um, one of the great things about the Old Testament is you see the heart of God. You see the heart of God. You see how he worked in his people in the past. 
and you see who he is and, and what he thinks about and what he values and how he responds to uh, rebellious people like you and me. So we start out and we see uh, the choice of God of Abraham. And he says in the middle of verse 6, he says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. I want to tell you that Israel, um, we'll find out later, we'll find out later, is connected to Isaac, connected to Jacob, to Jacob. The, his name being changed and the nation being uh, formed as Israel, connected with Jacob. But this is all one family, okay? It's going down a family line. Um, you can find places where it talks about Abraham's family and the descendants that came from there. Um, even in the last verses we looked at last week, we realize in verse 5 it says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, and that Jesus would come from this family. So we see the choice of Abraham in, in these first verses. It's not that the word of God has failed. Uh, but the rejection of that fact that not all are Israel, Israel who are Israel. And, and, and that's what I alluded to. I think I said it last week, is that when we talk about modern-day Israel and we want to quickly say, well, those are God's people. And I just want to say, uh, maybe, maybe some of them are, but maybe many of them are not. Why? Because it's not just on being part of a nation and it's also not even being uh, claiming a name, but it's that those who have followed after him, okay? And so as we see this, there's a, there's a question mark there of who are truly his. But, but back to verse 7, it says, And not all are children of Abraham, because they are offspring. And, and I want to, there's not much about Abraham in here, but know this, that Abraham was chosen, was chosen, and, and what you, you want to think in terms of as you read the story of Abraham and you, you see about him, you, you realize he was chosen, but you don't know much about the reason for the choice. The reason for the choice. Uh, why did God choose Abraham and not others? And not others. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, we just know that it was part of his goodness, his goodness and grace to Abraham, okay? Which quickly gets us to the choice of God of Isaac, of Isaac. In chapter 9, uh, verse 7, he says, And not all the children of Abraham because of his offspring, but uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, okay? And which should bring in your mind, well, uh, What's the deal with Isaac? What, what, how, what about him? Did he have any siblings? Did he have any brothers? Uh, was this Abraham's firstborn? As you look at this, um, he's, he's marking that it's children of Abraham, and he makes this, this um, connection of not through the flesh, um, which those of you who are Bible scholars or, or have read children's books, you, maybe not children's books, children's Bible stories, but you realize there was Hagar, okay? And who was she? She was, so you have Abraham, you have Abraham and his wife Sarah, 
okay? Sarai, and you have Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai. So you have these two, and so who's Hagar? How does she come in the picture? Well, uh, not in a good way, okay? And so uh, as you look at this, you realize that Hagar um, was the, uh, the, the maid or the servant to Sarah, and Sarah not having any children and not ha- couldn't have any children, uh, she said, well, why don't you sleep with my, uh, my mistress, my servant, and have a child? And, and she did. Uh, she did have a child, and the child's name was Ishmael. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why wasn't Ishmael the one? I want to tell you why Ishmael was not the one. Because God did not choose Ishmael. He, he could have. He could have. And I want to even say this. This might blow a gasket for some of you. It could have been in keeping with his character to choose Ishmael. And you say, well, why? That doesn't sound right. It's like a, like a sinful choice and like a sinful choice and like, you know, wasn't he marking that those were the sinful people? I don't think so. Why? Because God's choosing is not because of the goodness of the person. It's because of his grace. Abraham didn't get chosen because he was perfect. He got chosen because of grace. Uh, now we go to uh, Abraham's son, who will be this one that will be named. And, and as you think through all, all these things, why does it go through Isaac? Well, it's the choosing of God. The choosing of God. Look down at verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8. Um, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. And, and whose promise is he talking about there? The promise of Abraham? The promise of Isaac? The pro- like, like who's making the promises here? God is making the promises. I want to tell you that... Um, we, we think a lot of our word, right? We think a lot of our, our, our word is our bond. I promise you I'll be there. And I, I want to tell you, don't think great about your promises. Think great about the promises of God and realize that our promises are only as good as we are and we come up short many times. So you see the promise of God, not the promise, not according to the flesh, which is defined as Ishmael, which comes through the, uh, the, the servant Hagar, uh, you see through the promise uh, you have Isaac. As we, as we move on in verse 9, it says, uh, for, for this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. What a beautiful thing. Uh, Sarah in her 90s and uh, it says of uh, Abraham, he's almost all but dead, all but dead. I, I know that. I, I know that hits a little too close to home for some of us men, right? But um, uh, this this idea that this was the promise of God, this was the promise of God, and it, it wasn't the promise of God in a sense of like this is what I want for you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and so you have this amazing. Uh, gift uh, 
that you have Abraham and his wife Sarah having a son, Isaac, the son of the promise. Um, I, I want you to mark something in your mind right now. Uh, when, uh, when was Isaac thought of to be this special promised one? When, when, did, when was that decided? And you say, I'm struggling to find the time set. Uh, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Was it uh, when Isaac was 30, when Isaac was 30, and they realized that he was a good man, a strong man, a great leader, uh, did God say, Isaac, I choose you? No. Uh, was it when he was a teenager? Of course not, right? Of course not. It's ridiculous, you know. Uh, Brandon mentioned that 150 kids out in the parking lot, this, like, you know, I thought we were being invaded. I, I, you know, I was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, but it was great. It was great. There, there was great potential there, right? Not realized potential, but potential. Uh, potential. And I want to tell you, those of you who are laughing, you just can't remember back when. You just can't remember that far back. Um, it wasn't even when he was five, right? It wasn't even when he was five and he looked like a good-looking kid and he looked healthy. and like it, it wasn't any of those things. It was prior to him being born. Prior to him being born. So what do you have? Abraham, he was chosen. He was chosen why? We don't know. You have a son named Isaac. He's chosen when? Before, right? Before. Um, these are all connected to birth. And um, as you look at this, you go, wow, this is pretty amazing that God um, was knowing things, but also choosing and part of his plan, working out his plan prior to birth, prior to birth, um, prior to the ones even knowing that this was happening to you. Um, this is God's working prior to their birth, him working out his plan for their life. And I want to even say it this, also his plan for favor, plan for favor. And this idea that he is working things, he's working things and is part of his plan to bless those who didn't deserve it. Okay? Bless those who didn't deserve it. Um, which brings us to my third point, verse 10, the choice of God of Jacob, of Jacob. As, as you read this, verse 10 says, and not only so, but also when Rebecca, Rebecca, who is Rebecca? Like some of you are going, there's too many names here. Can we get pictures? Um, Facebook, you know, pictures or something like that. You know, directory, they're in the directory so I can get their face. Just want to remind you to get your directory pictures taken. <laughs> See how I worked that in there? That's pretty impressive. Uh, so you have now Rebecca. Who is Rebecca? Well, uh, she is Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife. So you have Abraham, uh, Abraham, and his wife Sarah. You have Isaac. Now Isaac has a wife, Rebecca. And it says this, and, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac. 
And then it says something peculiar when it talks about Isaac's offspring. It says, though they had not yet been born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So um, this is back to the, you know, uh, DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever. Uh, Some of you are saying, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And yet you look at this passage and you realize, once again, he gives a third example. Abraham, Isaac. Now he looks at uh, Jacob and Esau. And he says this. He says, uh, though they had not yet been born yet, and done nothing, either good or bad. We want to think, we want to think of God looking down upon us, and he says, if you're good, I'll take you. If you're bad, I'll reject you. That's the way we think this thing goes. That's the way we think God looks upon us. Uh, And I want to tell you, if you read the, the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, you'll realize, first of all, that um, for those of you who, my bad overweighs, or my good overweighs my bad, it's not true. (laughs) It's not true. What you've done good, if there is any, it's very little, it's very little compared to what you have done bad, okay? And that is true for everybody. That is true for everybody. And so you look at this, now you see the choice of God in Jacob apart from whether he was good or bad or Esau as well. And why have they given this this picture of Jacob? Well, it says this, that the purpose of election might continue, but God's choice, him being the one who calls, might be on display, okay? That God is displaying himself in election, and the choosing, he, he's displaying himself. And we're gonna see some things about God here in this next point. But, but why does God do this? Why doesn't he just let everyone decide for themselves? Why doesn't he stay out of it and just let people have self-determination and that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want? Um, and some of you think, that's the way I would do it if I were God. I wanna tell you, you're not God. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. Hate to be that one this morning. So you have the choice of God in Jacob. Uh, Nothing done uh, before. Uh, Why? It's because it's connecting to God's election and God's calling, the one who calls. I also want to say this, that God is working out his purpose, his purpose because of him. And so I want to encourage you to really think of all of life that way. What is God doing? What is God doing? How is he working? What is happening? And and really look for him to be working, uh, both in big things of the world, but also in your family, in your life. How is God working? And maybe you won't be able to understand it. Maybe you won't be able to pick it out, but to know this, that God is at work doing his job doing his plan, working out his plan, using his people, using you. Um, and so we see this. So we look down at verses 12 and 13, and this is, 
uh, where it starts to get a little dicey, right? Um, if you haven't uh, noticed already, he says this. Um, verse 12, he says, uh, she was told, uh, meaning Rebecca, she was told that the older will serve the younger. Now, that in and of itself is, is a, you know, a fascinating thing, right? Because in biblical times, and, and I would even say naturally even today, the, you know, older bossy sister, right? Where does that come in, right? Because sisters who are older are bossy, right? Picked on by my older brother. Why? Because that's how those things work. And so even in the sense of uh, uh, twins, there's a, even this thing, right? And, and what does she get? That the older will serve the younger. The, older will, uh, the younger will be over the older. And, and then he says this, uh, probably the harder verse, verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Now, uh, granted, that's a, a striking translation, right? It's like, whoa, I hated, I hated. We were fine with loved. Um, some have wanted to translate this, um, Jacob I've loved, and Esau, I've loved less, <laughs> loved less. Uh, and there's, there's a sense of that in these words, but it's probably much uh, harsher than that. Um, and, and possibly, probably more uh, possible, the, the translation being, Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I have rejected, rejected. And rejected for what? Rejected for what? Uh, not for living, uh, but for this special favored position uh, that he gives. And, and I want you to get this in your mind. So there's two brothers. There's two brothers. One was called uh, to be the people of promise. Jacob was called to be the people of promise. And Esau was not. He was skipped over for that, the people of promise. And you can look through the, the scriptures and you can see how the, the family tree breaks off and the people that go from, that are not uh, part of this choosing of God, what happens to them. So you have two brothers. You have one being uh, brought in that position of favor and the other being rejected. Which brings us kind of to the conclusion of these uh, ones that the Jews would have looked at. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, making the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel. Um, and I want to say this. As you look at this, you see the choosing of God, the choosing of God, the choosing of God, the choosing of God, right? That's what you see. And you see really God working out his plan and his prerogative, right? His prerogative, him doing uh, what his plan requires. And, and, and I want to just tell you that, and I want to say that's his prerogative. That's, that's his uh, right to do. Why? Why? Why is it his right to do? Because he's God, right? And, and most of us, most of us say, no, my plan, my schedule what I want to happen. I don't want this food tonight. I want something else. 
And this is one of the few places, and I don't want to say few in the sense that uh, God hasn't, isn't showing his strong desires, but uh, he's clearly saying it in these chapters, okay? And we should get used to it. We should get used to it. We should embrace it. Which brings us to verse 14, the choice of God of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh. And this is the different one, right? Abraham, favor. Isaac, favor. Jacob, favor. Pharaoh? What's the deal with Pharaoh? And he uses in a different sense that fourth example, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And I want to say this. He makes the transition from Jacob to Pharaoh by the, the natural man's inclination, the natural man. And maybe some of you are sitting there thinking this too, saying, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, if God's going to be fair, uh, he could just let everyone do whatever they want. They do, do what they want. Uh, I, I want to tell you that this is where it comes to electricity right here, Okay. And, and Paul uses this, we've seen it in other chapters, he asks a question, a question that is leading you to an obvious answer, a natural man's answer that would speak bad of God. And, and Paul, remember, gave the example where he slams his hand down on the table and he says, by no means, no way, absolutely not. It's not true. And, and, and I want you to get this in your mind. Is God unjust? No way. No way. He is just in all that he does. And, and you say, well, it seems like, I, I don't know, I can't really figure it out. I want to tell you, even when we can't figure it out, even when it seems different to me and to you, I want to tell you, you trust the word of God. That's why it's in there. That's why it's in there. That's why Paul wrote under the inspiration of God, is God unjust? Is there an injustice with God? Why did he write that? Because you and I and those Romans, that they looked in their huge monstrous city and they saw these people and they said, well, it doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. Is God unfair? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God is just. And so even as we see the events of our own lives playing out, we might be tempted to say, oh, God's not being fair. He's not being just. And for you to say, may it never be, right? Absolutely not. God is just. The natural conclusion of man says that in our minds, God is not being just, and so we have to go back to the scripture and realize that God is not unjust. He is just. He's a God of justice. I really have three things for you in this, uh, this section of Pharaoh, and it's, con- it's really concluding these previous three choosings as well. Is, first of all, God's, he's just, uh, in verse 15, it says this, uh, for, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy whom I have mercy, uh, on whom I have mercy, 
and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And and I want to ask you the question, if uh, God uh, is merciful to all people, to all people, does that make him a God of mercy? Yes. But if God has mercy on some and not on others, does that make him unmerciful? No, right? So, so what he's saying here is he's saying part of his character attributes, he's just, he's merciful, and he is also probably connected with that mercy, compassionate. Verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on the God who has mercy, right? So uh, um, sometimes we get this in our minds because we think we're little gods. We think we're little gods. And, and uh, us as little gods, we run around making our own godlike decisions and deciding what's going to happen and even telling God what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do now. This is what you're going to do now for me. For me, this is what you're going to do for me. Um, I, I want you to get this. God is laying out, verse 15, that his, God is a decisive God of mercy and compassion. He's decisive. And in, in verse, seven, or verse 16, he's saying, I am decisive, verse 15, you are not decisive on what I do. You don't decide what I do. That God is a God who decides on his mercy and his grace, his compassion that he extends. But it is not on the basis of human will or exertion. But on God who has mercy. He's mercy. And then it goes to verse 17 and he gives an example of this where in the past, uh, in the previous sections, he talked about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now he says this, verse 17, for, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Who was Pharaoh? You, do you, you know which Pharaoh he's talking about here, right? Uh, it's the Pharaoh uh, that... As you look at Moses, it's the Pharaoh that was in charge and Moses has this interaction with him after being raised in Pharaoh's household, now taking his people and they go to Pharaoh and they say, look, um, let my people go. This is what Moses says to him. I want to point, show you a passage. It's in Exodus chapter five, verse two, one and two. This is who Pharaoh is. Uh, So afterward, Moses and Aaron uh, went and said to Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, the one spoken of here in Romans, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's what God says to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. Uh, It seems like a, you know, it seems like a good request, right? Okay. Okay. the land that they were standing on, the land that they were standing on, did God have a right to that land? Yes. Give me a Sunday school answer. Yes, okay. God owns it all, right? Okay, he owns whether it's Egypt, Israel, uh, Russia, Siberia, 
Africa, like wherever it is, God owns it, right? He, why does he own it? Because he created it, right? But the request that God brought through Moses and Aaron was this, that let them go, let them go, that they might worship me out there, out there, not here, but out there. And I, I've always found that, that Pharaoh's response tells a lot about Pharaoh but it tells a lot about us, but it also tells a lot about our world. Let's, let's read it. Uh, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And Pharaoh was basically saying, who is this Lord that you speak of? Why was Pharaoh saying something like that? Because he thought he was Lord, right? And, and as he looked upon Moses and Aaron and everybody else, and he's like, wait a minute here. Like, I call the shots here. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who you're bringing. But I'm the one. And I, I want to I, I tell you all, especially those of you who are younger, if you're older and you haven't learned this, oh, man, grace today for you, Okay. Uh, but for those of you who are younger, is you might be asking that question. It, it may be a question on like, as I was telling the kids here about in the surprise box of like this, this picture in your mind of what am I going to need next year? What should I be? Or how should I pursue this? What should I do and what should I not do? And I, I want to say, when you say this is what I'm going to do, I don't care what God wants me to do. You're sounding like Pharaoh, right? Uh, for those of you who have trusted in Christ here today and you're not married, guess what? God wants you to marry a, another Christian man or woman. That's what he wants you to do. You say, well, maybe I don't want to do that. Well, that may be true. That may be true. That may be an honest answer for you. But I want to say this. I want to say this. What you're saying is, God, I'll be in charge of my life. I'll be God of my life. I'll be God of my life. And you help me pick up the pieces later. I want to tell you, that's not God's position or role in your life. The God overall. God overall. He was the God over Moses. He was the God over Aaron. He was God over all those people in the wilderness. But he was also God over Pharaoh over Pharaoh, and Pharaoh did not acknowledge it. He said, he said, um, who is God? And many of you know the story, what happened after that? God showed who he was, okay? He was the God over frogs and all kinds of other things, of water, like he was, he was the God over all, and Pharaoh got the answer, not the one he was looking for, but he found out who God was, Okay? I want you to get this because this is important as you think through God's control over your life, God's work in your life, where you are, okay? And so um, verse 16, uh, sorry, verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Uh, as, as you look at 
what, what that interaction with Pharaoh, what happened there? What happened there? Well, the whole world knew these miraculous decimation of Pharaoh and then uh, the idea of him finally chasing uh, God's people and that his armies were ruined in the drowning in the Red Sea. Like you, you get these pictures and all the world knew of really the God of Moses, what had gone on there, okay? And the God of Moses that was connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, to you, Pharaoh, uh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up. The idea of raising him up was not probably, it probably wasn't talking about his, his upbringing. It was an upbringing. It was probably specifically talking about his placement in power in this time and place. Him, uh, you know, a lot of times, how do people get in positions of power? And you say, well, they maneuver themselves or they pay this person or it's their family or whatever. And I want to tell you, uh, there is things about that but know this, that God is always placing people in power. And he placed Pharaoh in power for a specific reason. For what? That he would show his power over Pharaoh. Um, show my power in you. And Pharaoh, um, not that Pharaoh was great because he acknowledged God, but because he rejected God, because he was shaking an angry fist at God. And God says, I want to show the world how this works out uh, when someone shakes an angry fist at me. Um, uh, th- that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Hardens. You know, some of you weren't paying attention and you, you're saying, what, what, what's the big deal? Well, you're getting the big deal, Right? that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I, I want to be clear with you. Uh, some, many times when we read the scripture, we want to be tight. We want to be understanding. We want to uh, understand everything perfectly. You've got that engineer mind. You know, I know how it works. Don't tell me, don't ask me what time it is. I'll show you how to build a watch, right? You know, it's that thing of knowing everything, Right? And I want to tell you, as you look at the life of Pharaoh, it mentions over and over again that Pharaoh hardened his heart or that Pharaoh's heart was hardened or that God hardened his heart. What does that mean then? Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God did, but so did Pharaoh, right? And as the, 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 the situations of life and his... And his wickedness and what he did, guess what? His heart over time was hardened. And what I want to get at here is this, that, that Pharaoh's heart in the end was hardened. It was hardened by God, but it was also hardened by him. And how was it hardened? By he rejected God over and over and over again. Like this question. And, and tell me about God's people as we looked at in verse five, right? What does it say? Or four and five. It says that he did this for them, he did this for them, he did this for them, and what did they do? No, I don't want you. I don't want you. And so what we see 
in this passage that God chose Pharaoh for what? To show him as an example of what happens when you reject me. That's what God chose Pharaoh for. Doesn't have a time stamp. It doesn't say before the foundation of the earth. It doesn't say before Pharaoh was born. It just says Pharaoh's life, as he was raised to power, was used to be a display for the world of his power and that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I want to ask you some questions, and I realize I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit here uh, to think about this this week, and then we will continue in this same thought in the verses following next week. But I want to ask you the question, when did sin start in you? When did sin start in you? I realize there's probably some highlights of sin, right? There was those days that uh, there's pictures of and stuff like that. And and thankfully for many of us, um, when we went to high school, college, there weren't cell phones that you could take pictures of things, right? You know, there there wasn't um, markers that went in, you know, to the cloud that are forever there, that that was you, what you were doing, right? But when did sin start in you? You need to think theologically about this. It was at birth. It was at birth. It was, this, you know, it was in your mind, it was in, your, in, in you before you were able to express it well, right? Uh, it, it always shocks young parents uh, when their kid finally gets to talk, finally figures it out, and their first words are, no. No. And you say, oh, they must have misunderstood. And then they get more vocabulary and you hear the bratty things that come out of their mouths. And it comes to full blossom, you know, in the days and years to come. I think it really shows itself well in eighth grade. Um, and, and you say, sin, 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 right? Sin all the way along. When did sin start in you? And then the question I, I would even connect, and th- this may seem off base, but when does a person get saved? When does a person get saved? When does their life be secure in Christ? When, when is that point in time? Scripture says uh, that there is a point in time, right? It's, it's not at birth. It's not at birth. Uh, this idea of choosing an election, that happens before the foundation of the earth, Right? But the idea of salvation is sometime after that, right? It's sometimes after, after that. And then, then I want to ask you these questions too. Who receives mercy and who receives hardening? You say, well, that's a tough question, right? That's a tough question. Let me ask it a different way. Who does not receive mercy and who whose heart is hardened. As you look at that, you, you have to come to the place of saying, oh, none of us deserve. None of us deserve. Not a single person here, not a single person out there deserves the grace of God. So just some questions. So let me tie this up with four things uh, as, as we spend these last few moments together. Just highlighting some things we've already talked about. 
In this passage, you'll see that God shows his choosing in birth and through his plan. That's what God's doing. He's, cho- he's showing his role in choosing. Secondly, I'd say this. We learn about God in this, that he is just, merciful, and compassionate. That's who he is. That's good news. That's good news right there, right? Because if he was not, uh, we couldn't come to know him. We couldn't come to know him. Uh, thirdly, or, or let me ask you the question. Uh, do we deserve God's justice, mercy, and compassion? Do we deserve it? And, and, and when I say justice, we do deserve justice in our sin, but when we do something right or when somebody offends us, sometimes we say, we want justice. In this case, this specific case right here, right? Do we deserve it? No. We don't deserve his mercy and his compassion. In fact, mercy especially is the very thing that we deserve justice, but we receive mercy, right? We don't get what we deserve. We deserve, we get his kindness, though deserving his punishment. Thirdly, I just want to encourage you. Rejoice at God's grace for you. Rejoice at God's grace for you. And lastly, I want to end with where we ended last week and where we'll end next week and probably the following week too. Romans chapter nine, verse 33. And it's tying up this section. We got a couple more messages, but it says, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I, I think that we looked at some of that today, right? Right? The things that bother us a little bit and this idea that I don't like the way this is playing out. I, I want to be in charge and God's in charge and I'm struggling to understand this. Next week's going to be a little harder. Um, but this is what it says and this is where it ends up and this is where each one of you, even if you don't understand it all, this is where I want you to cling to. It says this, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Some of you might be here this morning and you, you think you're pretty smart and you, you're working through things and you go, well, uh, I don't know if I'm elect, like I don't know if you chose me or if I'm more like Ishmael or uh, Jacob or Esau, like I don't know how this all works out. And maybe you're thinking about that forever and I want to say, set all that aside. What does it take for salvation? What is it? Uh, you know, we, we can't understand all that God's doing, but this, this I, want, I want you to know to be true is that God's word says, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Today, today, uh, if you're confused, but you know that you're a sinner and you need a savior, I want to tell you, don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in your good works. Don't believe in your upbringing. Don't believe in America okay? Even less, don't believe in California, okay? (laughs) Vote, prop one. Uh, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, okay? I will not believe in anything else other than Jesus. I'm, I'm just like all those other people that that uh, I, I would reject him, like, God, I, I know I need you. I know I need you. 
I believe in you. God, thank you for this morning, the blessing of being in your word. I pray that you would guide our steps as we think through these difficult things, but also that we would rejoice at your kindness, that you are a God of justice, mercy, and compassion. Glorify yourself in your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.